Welcome to the Leverage Your Potential podcast. This podcast is hosted by the director and assistant director of Menlo College's Office of Internships, Career Services, and Study Abroad, Dylan Hull and Kelly Davis, in partnership with Menlo's Content Creation Club. Hello, and welcome back to the Leverage Your Potential podcast. My name is Kelly Davis, and I am your host today. I am the Assistant Director of Career Services and Study Abroad at Menlo College, and I'm very excited to bring you here today with our Director of the Oral Communication Program, Marianne Newerth. She also teaches both here at Menlo College as well as at Stanford University. She has a variety of classes, including a course on leadership, as well as a course on presentation skills. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Marianne, um, but those are very popular co- classes. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to our conversation today, Marianne. Thanks for being here. Yes, I'm very happy. It was a, a good opportunity to review my journey into learning about leadership and the particular ways that I view it now. So this is a nice opportunity. Thank you. Fantastic. And I am very much looking forward to the conversation because um, I'm very interested in leadership theory from a more theoretical background, as you know, Marianne. Um, So we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump right in. My first question for Marianne today is, what is your background, Marianne, and how did you end up teaching leadership? I was an occupational therapist for many years and worked in rehabilitation centers and hospitals. And I also worked in a hand clinic for a while. And I realized over time that even though doctors are framed as the leaders in the world of medicine, it's actually the nurses that um, orchestrate the patient care and keep things flowing. So that got me thinking about what leadership actually is. And after I switched careers and earned my master's and PhD in speech communication, I realized how foundational communication skills are to leadership as well as any kind of relationship. So I learned more about leadership through my interpersonal communication class through, I I also teach persuasion and negotiation. And I developed a leadership and storytelling class at Stanford a couple of years ago, and it was really popular. So I taught it a couple of times and I decided to teach a leadership class here at Menlo. proposed it a couple of years ago. And when I taught it a couple of years ago, it went really well, and I'm looking forward to teaching it again this fall. So that's just a basic background of, of my journey into this area. Great, and there was a, just a bit of a lag there, Marianne. Um, can you, so it's not the doctors who are necessarily always the leaders, but it's the, who else Nurse. The nurses. The nurse. Okay, just lagged on that word. And that's so interesting now, too. Um, and we don't want this podcast to be about the coronavirus and its impact on higher education, career pathways, et cetera. But I will note for our audience, in case they're looking back, that uh, today is April 9th of 2020. And so we're, seeing, we're ha- seeing a lot of our medical professionals on the front lines of this crisis. And so it's just very interesting that you, that you note there that the nurses have so much of a role in this as well. And it's not just the doctors. So I think that they're all, all hands on deck right now. So yes, everybody and they're, they're asking anybody who's willing to volunteer, who's able to. Um, so we'll see, I may end up volunteering since I have a medical background myself. We'll just see how that unfolds. Wow. Oh my gosh. 
lot to take in there, but thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah. So to try to keep it on uh, on the task, though, wow, we've opened up a whole new world that we could talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed, yes. So in keeping in mind that it, that it may not be who you expect it to be, who is a leader and who is not, what kinds of leadership exists? Well, I thought about that question, and I thought it might be useful before I answer that question to define how I view leadership itself. And in my own experience and in my own research, it seems to me that effective and ethical leaders need five qualities. So the first one is that they're self-aware and able to self-regulate. So I'm planning to talk about that a little bit more, but the importance of being self-aware is that you're able to act from choice rather than from impulse or autopilot. I think that's a really important quality of a good leader. And the second quality is to have excellent top-notch communication skills. And this includes listening, speaking publicly, leading meetings, having one-on-one -on -one interactions, any type of connection with other people, a leader needs to do that efficiently and gracefully. And one of my favorite movies is The King's Speech, which is about King George VI, who had a speech impediment, and he got a lot of coaching so he could lead his country. So that movie shows how closely excellent communication skills are linked with good leadership skills. So the third quality is that leaders take initiative. That's an important, no matter what area you're in, a leader takes initiative. And the fourth one is that they make decisions regarding the immediate moment, but also the big picture. And this is why storytelling is so important because a person who tells a story is calling to mind what's currently happening, but leaders also visualize the future. So that, that aspect of being a leader is very important. And when you do make decisions, I think it's important to base them on diverse, but also credible evidence that you get input from other people and then you make a decision after that. And then the fifth and last one is that they create structure for success, both for themselves, for their organizations, and also for other people. And it reminds me of a person I learned about in my communication education. His name is Lev Vygotsky. And he was a child development specialist and talked about how kids learn communication skills through something called scaffolding, which is this idea of developing structure for kids to learn basic skills in life. So I think a leader provides good scaffolding for people that they're working with, working for, and working to pull into the future. So the second part of that question is different types of leadership. So I, I have eight that I'm gonna talk about. And these are the first five or basic ones that probably you learned in some of your classes. The most common one that people talk about is trait theory, that people are born with certain qualities to be good leaders. And the second one is situational leadership, that you rise to the occasion when the situation calls for it. You may have no idea that you have this capacity. And then like this exact circumstance in which we find ourselves, the coronavirus, that people are stepping up and doing incredible things to help one another out. And the next one is charismatic leadership. And this is the assumption that people who are super charismatic and have a lot of energy and are very extroverted, that those are people are automatically good leaders. And I challenge that notion in my communication class. And there's a well-known theorist named Max Weber 
who also challenges that, saying that charismatic leaders are not necessarily the best leaders. So we have this culture where we really love drama <laughs> in many ways. So people who are charismatic, we, we're very drawn to that, but sometimes they, they're not necessarily the best leader. And then the fourth type of uh, leadership is servant leadership. Uh, Robert Greenleaf came up with this concept and the idea of really being there to serve the people that you are uh, supposedly leading. And there's a very interesting book called Siddhartha, and it was about a person who was the servant of a group that was traveling, and the servant disappeared, and the group just fell apart. So oftentimes, people who are in the support roles, when they exit, the system falls apart. So I'll talk more about that in a moment. But the next type of leadership is authentic leadership, which includes self-awareness, and this idea of leadership evolving and that you're always keeping in mind the best interest of other people. So it overlaps a little bit with the next type of leadership, which is talked about a lot in my field of communication. It's called transformational leadership. And the emphasis is completely on communication and uh, the team communication, cooperation, participation, making sure that each member has some form of representation or direct voice and that there's this idea of adapting and shifting as you get input. So this, of course, needs you need good social skills, good uh, emotional intelligence, good empathy, and people who use this type of uh, leadership skill are often phenomenal storytellers. So the, <clears throat> the next type of leadership is one that I developed myself. It's called the linchpin leadership theory. And this is based on a very short TED Talk. It's a two-minute TED Talk by Derek Sivers. It's S-I-V-E-R. And it's called How to Start a Movement. And it's this fantastic two-minute talk that he gives where he shows how one individual begins dancing. And it doesn't become a movement until a second individual joins the first one. And the second individual, <laughs> this is a, a quote from him, he says, it's the first follower that turns the lone nut into a leader. And this just made me think about how leaders are overglorified, and everybody wants to be a leader because they think they should be. But really, it's the second person that's most important. It actually takes two people in order for there to be a leader. There's the person who takes the initiative, and then there's the person who supports that individual. And I call that second person the linchpin. And the actual definition of a linchpin is that it's a pin that's passed through the end of an axle to keep a wheel in position. So that's its pragmatic term, but there's another definition that it's a person or thing vital to an enterprise or organization. So sometimes it's important to be the linchpin and not necessarily the leader, that you're the person who supports the leader. And I talked about servant leadership, and sometimes it's the people behind the scenes who are more important than the person who's out in front. So for, for people who feel this obligation to be a leader, but they don't feel that they have the personality traits or the true desire to be a leader, they can take comfort in knowing that actually, in my opinion, a role that's just as important as the linchpin position, also known as the keystone in architecture, very important part of an archway, the anchor, the backbone, these are all the things that are really important for other people to remember. 
So the next type of leadership, the last one, this is the eighth one, and this is toxic leadership. And this is a term that's come into use more now because it seems to be in our consciousness more these days. And people who are considered toxic leaders, they have this excessive need for admiration from other people. They tend to lack empathy. They tend to be arrogant and really focused on their own needs. They also tend to strong mood swings, uh, little bit impulsive, not really willing to be adaptable. And the one that really stood out to me as I did research on this was that toxic leaders tend to be very poor listeners. So if you're a poor listener, usually you're not a very good leader. And sometimes people think more about talking and telling when they're a leader, when really I think it's just as important, or if not more important, to listen and ask. So those are the different types of leadership and it was interesting to review them because each of them has a time and a place. And there you go. Thank you, Marianne. Yeah, that, there was a lot to think about in there. And I tried to take some notes. So people listening, um, there will be a few things that I hope to include in the show notes that Marianne just referenced. Um, but that was, it definitely recalled for me the course that I took on leadership theory four years ago now, um, talking about transformational leadership, referencing Greenfield and Weber. So it was almost like a review. It was great. <laughs> yes, yes, it was for me too. So I, I enjoyed doing that. And I hope that as students listen, or as anyone listens, that we take all of that in. I think that trait leadership is definitely something that is almost, for me anyway, if I recall back, that was almost the introduction introductory form of understanding what leadership was. Um, yeah. But there were so many different kinds of leadership that you referenced that I think, oh, I know what my top favorites are. I know what I want to personally aspire to, or I can see that in someone else. And I'm, I'm just hoping that everyone's kind of taking this in and maybe realizing the, how important it is sometimes to question those original teachings that we have around especially around these big ideas like leadership. I think it was so huge when I was applying to college to have leadership on my, well, not on my resume at that time as I applied to colleges, but somewhere in, in my application. Yes, yes. It's such a huge thing. And to have that, for me, it was fundamentally questioned when I studied abroad and realized that former French president Nicolas Sarkozy was using the he would be speaking french and then he would break when he said the word leadership and he said it in english oh interesting and how in germany it's not and this was coming from one particular older professor so it'd be interesting to see differences generationally but they they don't necessarily have that same aspirational value because the word for leader is what they would call any of their prior Kaisers, or maybe not Kaisers, but it's what they called Hitler, essentially. And, yeah. and so to understand that we have a very American notion also of what we define leadership to be, and, and we don't necessarily always get into those nuances, I think you just did a really great job of, of describing all of these different nuances that we can now hopefully point out in, in our lives and, and think more critically about for ourselves, too. So yeah, and I think 
I think you just brought up a really good point that there's a difference between leaders and good leaders because a leader basically influences other people to act or move or think in a particular way, but without ethics and without a sense of the bigger picture, we do have people like Hitler and Stalin and people that are not super ethical. <laughs> right. So that's why ethics and a sense of empathy is really crucial for good, effective leadership because in my mind, a, a good leader leaves a legacy. There's something that's left behind when they're gone. And if you're, and of course, there is this legacy left behind with Hitler because his impact was so profound. But it's kind of like a, there's this great story called The Man Who Planted Trees. And it's about an individual who, whose land got decimated by a terrible drought. And he slowly, by hand, replanted all these trees and ended up planting thousands of trees. And the entire ecosystem was able to recover because of his actions doing that. And I do think it's important to consider the long-term effects of our decisions and our actions and how other people will be affected by them. Absolutely. And I think that that kind of, that might offer a nice segue into our next question, which is, in your opinion, who are some of the most interesting leaders to observe right now or in the past? Yes. Well, I, I thought about all the different contexts in which people serve as leaders. I mean, there's political scientific, which is super interesting to me because I come from a science background, uh, religious, sports, entertainment, education, the military, explorers, you know, exploration in space and also here on earth, artists, inventors, healers, and more. There's just so many different types of leaders. We often think of the military and politics right away or business when we think about leaders. But I also think, as I mentioned earlier, that there's a broader idea. And I'm a huge admirer of Abraham Lincoln. He was a political leader, but he was also such a person of integrity. And I think leaders of integrity really impact us over time because we have the sense of admiration for them. And he really dealt with so much adversity, both, both personal as well as national. And basically because of him, we have a United States of America. He was really quite an amazing person. And he's known for his storytelling. He was such an amazing storyteller. And that was illustrated a lot in the movie Lincoln. So I'm an environmentalist and very appreciative of all the people who have come before us to help preserve you know, this beautiful planet that we live on. So Jacques Cousteau, he's one of my favorites. He, he's really an advocate for the ocean, his daughter, and his other kids and um, have carried on his legacy. Jane Goodall, she's amazing. And John Muir, and now Greta Thunberg. I mean, she's just incredible. I so admire her clarity and her commitment. She's just unequivocal in what she's calling us to do. So I also admire religious leaders like Mother Teresa. I admire Darwin, Einstein, Mozart. I wrote down all these people I admire, Malala Yousafzai, and the Antarctic explorer, Ernest Shackleton. He was just an amazing person who, his ship got stuck in Antarctica and he just abandoned his quest to be the first to come to the heart of Antarctica because his most important priority was to save his men. And they were stranded for quite a long time and he just took this Herculean journey to save them and not one life was lost. So he also an amazing leader that a lot of people don't know about but he, uh, I admire him quite a lot. 
And I also really admire artists like musicians and dancers and choreographers because I think they help us see the world in a different way. Uh, there's a choreographer named Trisha Brown and she choreographed a rooftop dance where dancers were just on top of roofs in New York and imitating one another as they changed their movements. And they've just started doing a similar thing online now with uh, everybody being um, in shelter in place. And Mercy Cunningham is also a dancer, a choreographer who made dances out of mundane movements like walking. So I really, I think helping people see things in a new way is one of the great gifts of true leaders. Definitely. What I love about that list is how diverse it is in terms of what all those people are doing. I mean, you have your favorites, which I completely identify with in terms of the environmental activism. Um, but I think that's one reason why I personally was, I remember being so drawn to the concept of servant leadership because yeah. it, it speaks to those, those leaders who we don't, who aren't in the limelight, who we don't necessarily think of right, right away. And that was yeah. something that I, that really resonated with me as I was um, doing my own or participating in student activism at that time and, and really participating a lot in community organizing. Thank you for those great answers. Yeah, sure. So now we're going to move a little bit more towards uh, the individual side. I would say with this next question, which is why are leadership skills important for individuals to cultivate in your opinion? I, I mentioned earlier that when one is self-aware, they can act from choice rather than from autopilot or just reacting. And there's this amazing speech that I use in my leadership communication class. It was given by William Duresiewicz, I think is how you say his last name. This was a commencement speech that he gave to the graduates at West Point Military Academy. And he talked about the value and importance of being alone with your thoughts. It's called solitude and leadership. And one of his, a quote from his talk is, leadership and aptitude, leadership and achievement, leadership and even excellence have to be different things. Otherwise the concept of leadership has no meaning. So he talks about all these things that we think leadership and he, he mentions that a lot of people who rise up in organizations do so because they learn how to maneuver and they learn how to work the system and they learn how to conform. So he says that a lot of leaders are actually conformists. And a true leader is someone who's willing to challenge the status quo. And that's become quite popular here in Silicon Valley, this idea of disrupting. I think that term has, has become a little bit overused, this idea of being an innovative new person. And we always have to navigate that balance between innovation as well as continuity. I think sometimes we forget about the importance of continuity and tradition. There's, there's definitely a place for that. Also maintenance versus challenging something, uh, the, the tension between being versus becoming, stillness versus movement. There's these tensions that we have to navigate and we tend to be biased in this area towards change and speed and movement and activity and newness. And sometimes I think slowing down is really important. And uh, William Duresiewicz agrees saying that 
really one has to be able to be alone, be focused on one's own thoughts, and be clear about what your own values and your own motivations are. And this is one of the nice silver linings, I think, of this coronavirus. It's causing a lot of anxiety and suffering for a lot of people, but it's also forcing us to slow down in many ways and withdraw and become a little bit more connected with ourselves, with our close family, with our close friends. And there's something really valuable about that. And he, he talks about the importance of being able to think for yourself, not just always responding to the external world. And I think because of our busyness and because of our constant bombardment of information with news and our cell phones, that we very rarely have time to just withdraw and be alone and think, what are my values? What's important to me? So I think that to me is what self-leadership is, that self-awareness and kind of, you know, there's this other uh, writer and philosopher, her name is Anne Rand, and she was a little bit controversial. And, but she was a philosopher and she argues for developing your own personal philosophy of how you want to live your life. She gave this very interesting speech and she talked about how important it is to have an anchor. That's what a personal philosophy does and it is it anchors you and helps you know how to navigate when the winds or the storms come. And what we might call that now is a personal mission statement. What's my values in life? How do I want to live my life in a way that helps me remain true to myself? Yeah, I think that's, I definitely try to impart that on students and as well as friends, if uh, they are looking for career advice, or even if you're just preparing for an interview, is to do that self-reflection and figure out what it is at the core of your center. That'll help you find people you want to work with, companies you want to work with, and you'll be able to make those connections a lot more easily. So that was, it's interesting that you brought up Anne Rand. I think context is always important, of course, but that is a beautiful thing that she talks about, a personal philosophy. And I also really appreciate that you bring up continuity. We, during Career Connect Day, we had a sustainable careers panel and the director of uh, the sustainability department at Stanford, Famida Ahmed Bangert, she was saying that it's really important that we don't, always just innovate or just create something brand new outside of what always already exists. And we were talking about environmental sustainability and I thought that was so important. And she made a good point that since Gen Z is supposed to be extremely entrepreneurial, it might be, might be difficult to get our minds around that, but sometimes being helpful to society, being helpful to fix a problem means that you need to do it within a system that already exists. And I like that you draw that into leadership and how it's not necessarily about creating the new, creating the exciting. It's about really driving something that might already be in place into a better direction. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Great. So now in looking at advice to students, uh, there's a couple of categories we have here. So what advice do you have for students who, A, are figuring out their own leadership style? Maybe they're looking back at everything that we've said so far and they're 
really processing it. So what advice do you have for students who A, are figuring out their own leadership style, B, want to improve their leadership skills, or C, want to become better leaders? Well, I think it's, first of all, important to figure out if you really are a leader or if you're a linchpin. And to remember that both of those are equally important. That you can't have a leader who's just all by themselves. <laughs> there needs to be at least a second person. This is why, you know, they have these Robert's rules of order. There's these very formal rules of how you run meetings. And somebody asks you for a motion. And there's always somebody who has to second it. If there's nobody who seconds the original motion, it doesn't move forward. So there has to be a second person. So it's good to think, am I a leader or a linchpin? And I asked this question and talked about this in my leadership communication class last year. And there was a student in there. He said, you know, I really think I'm a linchpin. I hope that's okay. And I said, that's fantastic. We need people like you. And he ended up doing the, I have them do an art project where they visualize leadership and create an artistic rendition of their view of what leadership is. And he just made this beautiful image of what he, how he saw himself as a linchpin. So I think that's a really important thing to consider. And also, as I mentioned, to think about your basic values. Do you, is freedom important to you? Is community and team building important to you? Is justice important to you? I heard this great quote, that justice is what love looks like in public. That's by Cornell West, and I really like that. And one of my personal values is healing. That's what draw, drew me to become an occupational therapist. And then now when I teach communication, I want people to be effective and smooth. And you know, I teach conflict resolution and I teach a civil conversations workshop at Stanford just to help people learn how to communicate with others who are very different than them and view the world in such a different way. So a particular exercise that I have of helping people learn more about themselves is that you get three items or symbols that represent what you think power is, what you think leadership is. And it can just be items that are around your house, items that are outside. So for example, it might be a painting that really speaks to you. It might be a gift that someone gave to you. It might be a keychain of a key that helps you get into your home, which is a place that helps you feel secure. So this is an exercise that excuse me, I sometimes have my students do as a way to prepare a speech to help us get to know one another a little bit better. So in terms of becoming a better leader and improving your communication skills, I, I think one of the most important things you can do is take a communication class, take a public speaking class, a persuasion class, take my leadership communication class, or even a communication class somewhere else, even at a community college, like over the summer. I know a lot of people take classes elsewhere because in my mind, improving and strengthening your communication skills is the most important thing you can do if you really wanna be a good leader. So those are the tips that I have. Those are excellent. Thank you for providing an exercise too. I think those are always helpful. And yes. you have all sorts of you know, personality tests but I like this extra component of really visualizing something. So yes, and there is, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Nope, no, please. I was just gonna, you just reminded me the, of the strengths-based strengths, strengths -based leadership test. I know that Kathy Lovelace uh, has uh, people take that in her class. 
and Leslie Sakurka, I think, has some people take those types of tests in, in her class as well. So I think, and you guys, you know, in the Career Services Center, I think those tests can be super helpful as well. Definitely, for sure. I, I value them. It's, it's always fun in some regard to, to figure <laughs> out what you are and how you might identify with book characters as well, just to put a fun spin on it. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. So Marianne, you've told us, you just were mentioning the classes that you offer, and I'm wondering if you wanna take a moment to say anything about your leadership class that you offer at Menlo. Yes, I, I appreciate the chance to say more about it, and a lot of what I've talked about today are the things that we cover in the class, the different types of leadership styles and the different views on it. And we focus a lot on how to be a good communicator, what storytelling looks like, and we have a short section on that. And I also have students do a comparison of leaders from completely different industries and compare and contrast similarities and differences. And we look a lot at uh, the ability to write well also because written communication matters in addition to oral communication. The ability to summarize what other people have said and put it into a succinct uh, particular manner so people understand it. We talk about emotional intelligence and we, we speak a fair amount about intercultural communication that's really important in this day and age to understand diversity and the different ways that, that cultures deal with negotiation, how they manage and uh, deal with disagreements and conflict, uh, gender differences, and being mindful of that. So we have a whole section on that. And also some networking skills and how to be a good mentor and also a mentee. How do you receive training and teaching from other people? And I, um, when I teach business communication here, I have a whole section on giving and receiving criticism because that's a tricky thing for people. And I think in the fall, I might incorporate that into the leadership class as well, because people feel threatened by the idea of either giving or receiving feedback, which they, you know, the word criticism is automatically viewed negatively, but sometimes it's so helpful because that's how we grow. That's how we become better. So even though it might be a little bit uncomfortable, it's, it's really crucial. And when I do, workshop, I do conflict resolution workshops with the athletic teams and I talk about how to give and receive criticism and feedback and not let that lead into conflict because sometimes we misinterpret the feedback that we're getting because we already feel inadequate inside of ourselves and sometimes just asking questions of clarification can open up all kinds of doors and understanding. So I'm, I'm very excited to teach the class again and Looking forward to whoever joins in. I'm tempted now to be one of your, your pupils. <laughs> yes, I would love it. And I also found out that my story, I proposed a storytelling and improvisation, improvisational speaking class. It's just a one unit class. And I just found out that that got accepted for the fall. So I hope congratulations. Uh, yes, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. It's uh, storytelling has become it's caught on like wildfire. It's super popular at Stanford and you know, there's other, uh, Columbia teaches a class on storytelling. So it's, it's definitely, um, I mean, it's an art that's been around for quite a long time and I don't want it to be, you know, co-opted to be used just for sales and just for persuasion. 
but I do think understanding how storytelling works can be helpful and also it connects us with our humanity a little more deeply because every culture on earth without exception tells stories and has stories. Definitely. I'm excited about that class now too. So I'll have to take them both at some point. <laughs> that would be great. And I just wanted to mention, um, you talked about or con giving and feedback and criticism. And I think that's so valuable. I heard once, and I wish I remembered the source, but somebody spoke to how there's a problem in an organization if feedback or criticism is not coming from the bottom up. So mm -hmm. yes, if we find ourselves at the top of organizations or just as managers of a team or something of that ilk, if we are not able to take criticism, then that's going to be a problem. But on the yes. flip side, if we're a linchpin or just we happen to have a supervisor, we need to be able to constructively give that feedback and criticism so that it is received well, just as you were saying. So yeah. and that's critical to the success of organizations and communities. Yes, there's this amazing book that I just finished. It's called The Ten Laws of Trust, Building the Bonds That Make a Business Great. It's by Joel Peterson. And he wrote about how important trust is in an organization. And he gives very specific guidelines on how you can build and strengthen trust in an organization. And of course, communication is a key component. Sharing information, getting information, giving feedback, getting feedback. He, he talks a lot about the things that we've discussed in, in our conversation today. Well, that is a perfect segue to my last surprise question to wrap things up. So you just <laughs> finished the 10 laws of trust. What are you reading now? Yeah. Oh my goodness. I'm reading a few things. I am finishing up a book on women at the podium. It's about famous speeches that women have given because we often associate public speaking with men. So I'm trying to educate myself about women who have given speeches, which is how I learned about Anne Rand and her speech on you know, philosophy. And I'm also reading this fantastic book. It's an older book. It's called the, the Book of Virtues. And it's a collection of stories from all over the world. And it's a slightly over a thousand pages long. So I'm only about a quarter of the way through, but I'm really enjoying reading that and gathering stories from all over the world and different traditions. And I read the New York Times every day, which currently feels like a book a day because there's just so much going on. Yes. Good for you. How do you dig through all of the, you know, the elephant in the room? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really feel the need to be informed, but also not overdo it because it's easy to get overwhelmed these days, I think. And, you know, I, I want to be informed, but not consumed. Yeah, that's, that's really great. I resonate with that a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much, Marianne. This was a fantastic conversation and I'm really hoping that everyone who listens in enjoys it just as much as I did. It was great. Yes. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it a lot. Fantastic. And maybe we'll have to have you back another time for a storytelling interview. Oh, I would love that. That would be fantastic. All right. Well, stay tuned folks. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leverage Your Potential podcast. Episodes are posted weekly and can be found on our blog at blog.menlo.edu slash career dash services slash. Make it a great day.